Chapter 6, Danny Mike and Josie were married about three years later. It was always a very equal marriage. She was clever and thoughtful, with occasional quick bursts of her mother's temper, which kept him in his place, or so bridey her mother maintained. He was a very tall, healthy man. Neither of them can actually remember proposing to the other. They always knew they'd get married somehow. Their first child was a boy. He was born at home, and Bridie was there to help. It wasn't an easy birth. Josie went in and out of consciousness while it was going on, and Bridie kept bullying her to get on with the job. When at last he was born, Bridie made the sign of the cross over him. What did you do that for? asked Josie, chilled in her weakness, and Bridie only shook her head. He's a beautiful boy, she said. Bless him. They called him Danny. It was Danny, more than anyone, who brought the families together. I was born when he was seven years old, and by then the truth about him had long since dawned. Bridie had seen it first, and then Josie had guessed it and held the knowledge deep inside herself till Mike too saw it. Danny was only a few months old, lying on the bed to be dried after his bath, and Mike said, dry with sudden dread. He's got a funny way of kicking. I know, said Josie, quiet. He doesn't kick properly, does he? No. Mike's fear made him angry. So what do you know that I don't? Nothing, Mike, she said. I don't know why he's like this. I just know he's different. And now you know, too. Don't ask me what it is. Then we'll have to find out, won't we? That began a long series of visits to doctors and hospitals, operations for baby Danny, and the slow understanding that he was never going to get better, that he would never walk properly or play with other children, that he'd become worse and worse over the years, that he'd never grow to be a man. All we can do for him is to make his short life more comfortable, the specialists tell Mike and Josie. There's no cure for this. When Danny was asleep, Mike would sit by his cot, stroking and stroking his hair, and Josie would stand staring out of the kitchen window for hours at an end, till you'd think that she could see leaves unfurl from their buds. I'm not strong enough for this, she told Mike. You are, he promised. We are. Danny was given his first wheelchair soon after his sixth birthday. He thought it was wonderful. Josie had taken him for his regular checkup at the children's hospital. She always carried him straddled over a hip when he was too tired to walk. They left the hospital that day with the wheelchair, and she took him over the road in it to the park. They were to meet Mike there after work for a picnic. For the first time, people started looking at Josie and Danny. When he'd been in a pushchair, he was just like any other toddler. When she'd carried him on her hip, he was just a tired child. Now people knew he was different, and their averted glances showed it. Blind with unhappiness, while Danny sang in his chair, she pushed him through the park to the little duck pond at the far end. She took him right up to the railings so he could chuck 
bread bits for the mallards there. It was April. Daffodils blazed brilliant. Pussy willow hung yellow-flecked fur tails. Everything seemed to reflect the sun's brilliance. It was not a day for sorrowing. Danny shrieked with excitement as sparrows darted round the wheels of his chair, pecking up the crumbs that he'd dropped. His bag of bread bits slid from his knee, and he strained to pick it up. She watched, unable to help him, as he leaned forward and splayed out his fingers. Any further and the chair must tip. Still she didn't move. He tried to slide his body forward, using his arms like levers, pushing his feet towards the bag. Now the chair would tip. A little girl ran past, picked up the bag, and shyly held it out for him. I nearly got it, Danny said, didn't I? The child shook her head at him, wondering. It's not for me anyway, Danny said. It's for the ducks. Do you want some? She shook her head again, scared of him, but studied him as he threw the crusts under the water and the mallards bobbed for them. Josie, on her bench, watched the little girl skipping, saw the tiny bulge of muscle on the perfect legs, and for the first time was jealous. The child towed her sandals onto the railings, hoisted herself up, jumped lightly to scoop up the crusts that Danny dropped and to tease the sparrows with them, and then, like a bird herself, flung away from the railings up to the grass slope. I'm going to play, she shouted. Danny bent forwards, as if he was too intent on watching the mallards to notice. Mike came without Josie seeing him. He put a hand on her shoulder, squatting down on his heels next to her bench. What's Danny doing? They'd given him a wheelchair. She couldn't find her voice. He doesn't need one. Not yet, Mike said, angry. He keeps falling over. They said he needs one now. Not all the time. No, not yet. But he's got to get used to it. She stood up and took Mike's hand, pulling him up and away from the pool, so that they were out of Danny's earshot. Her fingers were tight on his wrist. What's up? he asked, scared. What do they tell you? Nothing we don't know. The same story. She could still hardly trust her voice. Mike, I think I want Danny to go into a home. The child bending forward in his chair blurred. Points of sunlight on the water splintered and danced apart. I think it would be the best thing for him. Children like him. His own friends. You're tired, Mike said. Yes, I'm tired. I don't know how long I can go on. And I'm scared. It's too much responsibility. In the tree above them, a blackbird's song broke out, brazen with optimism. Mike could only watch her, helpless, while she struggled to say what she had to say. I feel guilty for saying that, she said. And I feel guilty for giving birth to him. Sometimes, I think it would have been better if he'd never been born. That was the terrible thing that my mother said about Danny. And she said it because she loved him. Relentless, 
the blackbird started his song again. Is my boy too, remember? said Mike. We'll manage. Daddy! Dad! Look at my chair! Danny shouted. It's brilliant! That night, Mike brought all the family together for a meeting. Josie cooked for them while he collected first Albert and Dorothy, and then Jack and Bridie. Danny was asleep in his new bedroom downstairs by then. Mike didn't mention what had happened in the park. We want your advice about Danny, he said. He's only got about ten more years with us. We know that. We've got to accept that. Albert watched his son, thinking how much of a man these responsibilities had made him. It's not long, said Josie. What can we do for him to make those ten years worth having? A young face was already lined with care. Seventeen years of life that's full and loving is every bit as good as seventy years of life that's cold and wasted, said Bridie. Oh, he's a very happy child, thank God. Dorothy thought of old Mrs. Beattie, who'd spent the last few weeks of her long life regretting that she'd done nothing with the rest of it. If I had a bit of cash, she'd said, steaming her feet by their fire at home, I'd be off, here, there, everywhere. I'd be doing all sorts. And Dorothy and Louie and the little ones had laughed, knowing that Mrs. Beattie had never so much as wandered into the next street to see what was going on there. I was a girl then, Dorothy thought. What's life done with me? Silence droned in the room. They would give him everything money could buy. Was that enough? There's nothing more worth having than a mother's love, Jack said softly. And a father's, said Mike. Danny cried in the next room and Josie went into him. He had cramp in his legs from lying awkwardly. Josie massaged them for him as she did every night. Usually they told each other stories, but not that night. He sensed her unhappiness and stayed quiet. His teddy bear had cramp too, he said. He'd do what he could for him. Better, love? Josie asked. Yes, thank you. Ted's better too. Good boy. Try to get back to sleep now. Danny pushed himself onto his side, ready for the short sleep that would take him to his next spasms. Josie sat by him, stroking his hand. Mummy, do you know what I want more than anything else in the world? A heart stopped. Had the boy heard? What, Danny? A baby sister. Can I? It was a terrible decision for Mike and Josie, my mum and dad, to make. They were warned that they could have another boy like Danny. They knew that even perfectly healthy children would be a terrible strain on their energies. But all the grandparents would help. It was a family decision. A year later then, John was born. A big baby, quiet and sullen and always independent. I was born ten months later. From the first moment I breathed, I was the best thing that had ever happened to Danny. Is she really mine? he asked, as I was put into his arms to nurse. He gave me his teddy bear, and he gave me my name, Jess. For most of my childhood we slept in the same bedroom. My mother, up to her eyes in work, was happier than she'd ever been. It didn't make things harder for her to have two healthy children playing round and getting in her way. It helped. Danny was never on his own now. 
On Danny's tenth birthday, Mum bought him a camera. All the grandparents came to the party, and afterwards, because it was a warm, rich September afternoon, we all went into the garden. The apple trees were heavy with red globes of fruit, like a Christmas tree hung with baubles. Dad picked some down for us all, but because I was three, I wanted the big red one near the top. I'm not getting the ladders out, Dad said. Have one of these or do without. I sat by Danny's chair and sulked, till he suddenly took Ted out of my arms and flung him at the tree, hoping to knock the apple down. He didn't, of course. Ted dangled upside down and way above the tantalising apple. I punched his arm in anger, and suddenly Grandad Albert lifted me up and ran with me to the tree, holding me on his shoulders. I still couldn't reach. Throw her up too, Grandad! Danny shouted. I looked down from my great new height and saw everyone laughing up at me, and I started crying, which made them laugh even more. John ran to get one of the crutches that Danny sometimes used and danced round Grandad, waving it, and I grabbed it off him and swung it up high. Give it a good swipe! Whack it, Jess! You're rubbish! Danny was giggling with excitement, rolling the chair backwards and forwards round Grandad's legs to stop us getting near enough to the tree. I hurled the crutch and it smashed against the tree, toppling down into next door's garden. The apple I'd been after dropped onto Grandad Albert's head and then smashed in a pulp onto the path, but Ted still swung like a hanged man by his braces, and I howled. It had maggots in it anyway, said Grandad Albert. I've just found one in my hair. Danny held up his arms for me, shrieking with helpless laughter, and that was when my mum took his photograph. As John grew older, he hated to be in the house. He was always off somewhere playing football or something, but I preferred to stay in with Danny. We were very alike. We used to paint together for hours, or he'd read to me. If we went to the park, I'd push Teddy in my toy pushchair, which Dad had specially adapted with pram wheels to make it look like Danny's wheelchair. John would be running round playing and I would sit on the park bench next to the two wheelchairs, chattering to Danny. Don't you want to go and play? he'd say sometimes. Not if you don't, I'd say. He'd pretend to think about it. No, I don't feel like it today, he'd say. Neither do I, I'd say. But I did feel like it. When Danny wasn't with me, I'd race across the park like a bird set free. I'd call it running for Danny. In the year that I was eight, Danny deteriorated rapidly. I always used to run home from school straight in to talk to Danny. Now my prattle started to annoy him. He seemed to have no time for me. Mum would send me scurrying out of the room as soon as she saw him growing tired. John would be out somewhere else, away, always away till mealtimes. I used to sit on the outside window ledge watching my mother washing and changing Danny, who was nearly seventeen. Nearly a man. He had no strength in his limbs. I used to wait for him to wave to me or call me back in to play with him, but these days he never did. It took him all his energy to be lifted and rolled by my mother back into his chair, and there he would lie, limp and drained, sleeping from time to time. My mother never left him. She would wheel him into the kitchen and watch him anxiously while she prepared his food, and then she would kneel beside him, coaxing him with spoonfuls that she'd mashed into a soupy pulp, like baby food. 
It would trickle from his mouth and she would scoop it up on the side of the spoon and not scold him. I'd have been able to do that for him, if she'd let me. Get your own, she'd say to me when she realised I was hovering near watching. Don't hang round me, for goodness sake. As soon as my dad came home, he'd make Mum go upstairs for a little sleep and he'd sit on the chair opposite Danny and lean right forward in it, talking and talking to Danny. It was as if there was a web of some sort round him. When my bedtime came, I'd go up to my room, unnoticed, and settle Teddy down for the night. There was no talking to anyone these days. When I had the chance, I'd take my little stool and put it next to Danny's chair. Sometimes I'd slide my book across to him and he'd push it back to me. What's up with you, Danny? I'd ask. Nothing. I'm just fed up, that's all. And then one evening, when we were watching television together, Danny slumped in his chair, just keeled sideways as if someone had let the air out of him. My father lifted him out and laid him on the table and gave him the kiss of life. Danny's hands began to move and he opened his eyes, scared. Dad held him on his knees as if he was a small child. Not yet, Danny, he said. Not yet. After that, a nurse came in to see him every day. My grandparents were always... And then, one weekend, John was taken to stay with my Auntie Maureen. Am I going? I asked, not understanding. Danny wants you here, Grandma Bridie said. He loves his little Jess, you know. Can I play with him now? Pop in and see him, but be very quiet, won't you? Don't make a nuisance of yourself. They'd kept the curtains closed in his room because the sun was so strong. There was no noise there. I was frightened. Danny was lying in bed. But he didn't look like Danny. He stretched out his hand to touch me, and I ran away. I hid behind the coats in the hall. My father tried to coax me out, and I shrank in further. I'll take it at Maureen's after tea, my granny Dorothy said and I knew I was being punished. I don't want to go to Auntie Maureen's. I want to play with Danny, I said from behind the coats. There's no playing with Danny. I could only see her feet. Why not? What's the matter with him? Don't ask me that. I want my mother. Leave her. She's busy with Danny. I want her now. I said no, Jess. She's upset. I buried my face in the coat that smelt my mother's scent and refused to come out. After a bit, people stopped asking me to. The house was full of quiet bustle and people coming and going and whispering. I could see the door to Danny's room opening and shutting and I watched the legs as they passed me in and out of his room, backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, and I never saw my mother's. Hours later, the nurse and the doctor came together. The house went so still that I thought everyone had left. Then there was a knock on the door, and someone said, The ambulance is here. There were lots of legs then in the hall, too many legs, bringing something out of Danny's room. I hate my brother! I shouted. 
Someone dragged me out from behind the coats and slapped my face. When they told me that Danny had died, I knew that it was my fault. Nobody would talk to me and I knew it was because they couldn't forgive me for what I'd done. My mother wouldn't even come down from her room. On the day of the funeral, I sat next to her and my father, and Auntie Maureen brought John into the church to sit next to me, and because he wouldn't look at me, I knew they'd told him what I'd done. They took Danny's coffin out to be buried in the earth, and I stood with my back to it, and nobody looked at me. I felt a terrible aching in my neck and my throat, and I held my head up so I could see the clouds racing like blown smoke across the sky. And it seemed that the rooks gathering in the high branches were blaming me with their loud cries, and that the dark trees themselves were pushing down on me to crush me with their blackness. And when we went back to the house, I crept away from the people and went into Danny's room and sat there, holding the silence in my open hands and on my eyelids and on my tongue, and nobody came to find me. It grew dark, and I went up to my room and nursed the teddy bear that Danny had given me. Someone opened my door, and I pretended to be asleep, and they didn't try to wake me up. When I opened my eyes, I could see the moon spinning like a Catherine wheel in the black well of the sky. When I woke again, it was morning. John was sitting on my bed. I can't cry, he said. Can you? I shook my head, scared again. I killed him, I whispered. He stared at me. No, you didn't. I did. I said a terrible thing. I did it. Someone else was awake. The water pipe shrieked as a tap was turned on. Dad, it would be, in the kitchen. John pulled my eider down up over his shoulders. Auntie Maureen said that everyone knew Danny was going to die. Even Danny, he said. Are you sure she said that? But we didn't know. That's not fair, is it? They should have let us say goodbye to him. I'd been in his room. I pushed the thought of it away, my terror. I jumped out of bed and went to the window. It was full morning. The grass was bright with dew. Flowers hung limp after their rioting in the night's wind. Will you put your shoes on? I said to John. And come out into the garden with me. Dad must have taken a drink up to Mum because he wasn't in the kitchen when we went down. I was carrying Ted. We went out into the garden and found a spade and fork and chose a spot together. Then I put Ted down on the wet grass and we both dug, bringing up the brown, moist earth, each with our own thoughts busy in our heads. Mud spattered the hem of my nightgown. We turned up bulbs as we dug and I put them carefully to one side for replanting, glad that there'd be flowers there. That'll do, John said. We put down the spade and fork and I picked Ted up. Goodbye, Danny. I laid Ted gently into the soil, tucking his torn leg down so he'd be comfortable. We scooped up the rich earth and sprinkled it onto him. Ashes to ashes. 
I had that terrible aching in my throat again, and then I heard John sob, and when at last the sweet relief of tears washed down my face, I felt as if the crying would never end. My mother came out to us in her nightdress and bare feet, and her hair all loose and tousled. She drew us both into her. Time for the living, she said. I hope it's not too late.